Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Dr. Lulu, a.k.a. The Mom Attrition, coming at y'all live on Facebook via Zoom by way of my living room and everybody else is wherever they are. Whew. Today is going to be, it's going to be real, it's going to be raw, but it's going to be the truth. I have, I'm being joined by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven brothers. I mean, it's not, it's not every day you get seven men like these, like this, who want to come together and just speak the truth. So thank you so much for your time, for your patience, all my brothers. You guys have been awesome already. We haven't even started yet. So I've got Reverend Kevin Wilson, who is going to lead us in a one minute of prayer. And then we're going to go around and everyone introduce themselves. And then we're going to get the party started. So Reverend Kevin Wilson, take it away. Yes, let us pray. Father, we, our eternal God, we come to you. And first of all, to say thank you for the joining of these men's as we speak to you and as we speak to the world, oh God, we just ask that you would guide us and lead us by your spirit and let us un, let us speak our truth, Father, guide us and with our truth and let us be able to come together collectively, not only just for this, oh God, but to find solutions and to solve problems, oh God. And we just thank you for these men. It is in your holy name that we pray, amen. 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 Love it, short and sweet. Straight to the point. All right, so we're going to get started. You know what, Reverend Wilson? I'm tagging you. You go first. Just a brief intro. Who are you and why are you here on a Sunday afternoon? Yes, um, I, my name is Kevin. I'm here. Um, I am a chaplain here at Rush Hospital. I'm also an ordained uh, minister in Gear, Indiana, currently working in Chicago um, at the hospital as a chaplain. Um, I'm here to speak my truth along with these other brothers that I have here just to speak my mind, it's a lot that's going on, a lot that I'm processing. Um, I got all these emotions, you know, anger, mad, pissed off, you know, just a whole bunch of emotions that are processing. And so here with a group of brothers to express those emotions and, um, you know, chime in on what everybody else is feeling throughout all these other cities that we're, and I'm so grateful that you called me to be a part of this, um, being connected with these men. Um, that's all over the United States. Uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing to be here. And I, I appreciate you um, thinking about me and, and, and inviting me to be here with these brothers. So thank oh, you. Thank you so much. It was a no brainer for me. I know you remember your, 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 your 
podcast interview with me, I was mesmerized. Yes. I said, when real men want to talk and then a real black man who talks about his, his mistakes and he's not, a, he's yeah. not ashamed yeah. to say that I'm a real person and I've made mistakes, but I'm on my, I'm becoming. And I was just like, oh, this guy, this is a man after my soul. And of course my brother, Dr. Kingsley Agbe Agbe, you know, he's my brother. We literally have the same first name. And this is the brother that I picked because he's a doctor. And he's also a father of two black boys. So brother Kingsley, how are you doing? Because I know you're in Atlanta. How are you? Uh, thanks, Uche. I'm uh, really glad uh, to be here with this esteemed group. And I'm gratified that you called me. And for those of you I mean, that, that are out there, you know when Lulu calls, you got to answer. Anyway, um, <laughs> Dr. Lulu calls, you answer. But I, I'm board certified in internal medicine. I've been in practice for about 20 years. Um, I had a practice, um, but now I work as a hospital physician at Wellstar Kennestone in Marietta. I, uh, I, uh, I'm in Atlanta, and uh, I would like to uh, give my two cents uh, regarding what's going on uh, today. So I'm looking forward to a healthy discussion. And like uh, uh, Uche said, I have two boys, and they're 14 and 17, and I'm enjoying their teenage years, being a dad and uh, and my wife, Kwabi, is also a good friend of uh, Uchi as well. So I'm glad to be here. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. And on my left, of course, is Bumi Samuel, mm -hmm. a brother, an activist in his own right. <sighs> brother Samuel, how are you? What's going on? Brief intro for the people, please. How's everybody doing, brothers? How y'all doing today? Um, it's a pleasure to be with y'all. Um, it's been tough. It's, it's tough because I'm, I'm somebody who remembers. I don't, I don't, I don't lose. I'm, I'm a, a student of history. Um, I'm a student of being human. You know, I've been brought up to believe that I was human. I am human. Um, so I don't, I don't um, take lightly or I don't take casually or passing by uh, when people's humanism is obstructed, affected. Um, so for me, it's tough. You know, I really want to first remember all the folks who came before me, who allowed me to be here. Um, even the brother Rashad um, Brooks who came before me um, because hopefully his life, George Floyd's life, Sandra Bland's life, Michael Brown's life, and we can keep continue to go on, that they, um, they stand for something in my, my work, my life, and hopefully every brother on this, this cause life. So for me, um, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful because I know that um, it's not the first time we've been here. Um, and I'm hopeful that I know that um, I come from, you know, a mighty ancestor that um, will see us through. So I don't, um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much. Brother Blake, the millennial, oh, he has a podcast that's aptly called The Diary of a Mad Black Man. Brother Blake, every time I think about you, I have goosebumps, man. You are also on ground zero. Can you tell us how you're doing? And uh, um, I saw this post this morning on Facebook. I saw your post this morning on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had to get that out. I couldn't I couldn't keep that in. But um, I'm happy to be here. Um, as Dr. Lulu said, I'm the host of Diary of a Mad Black Man, a podcast. Um, I like to focus on mental health relationships and basically anything that I would write in my diary, I put in my podcast. Um, how I'm feeling right now, um, in this moment, I'm feeling okay, simply because I'm surrounded in a by nice brothers like myself. Um, I'm in a safe space. Um, and I know that I'm going to be able to release a lot of this emotion that's been built up in me. Um, for myself, I, I think that where I'm at is really trying to find a way to 
still move forward in the midst of all of this. I'm in the process of building a business based on my podcast, um, getting that off the ground. And it seems like every other day I'm getting distracted by something that's happening. Um, and so that's why I appreciate opportunities like this to come on and meet with like-minded people um, and to continue to push the culture forward because at the end of the day, it is about moving forward. But I, I just found myself in a very negative place just seeing everything because it's literally like right down the street. You can't escape it. So I'm doing what I can to stay safe, to stay sane, um, and to continue to engage and use the God-given talents that I have to do something about it. And so that's also why I'm here. Fantastic. Brother Kemi, on, on the other side of, of Reverend Wilson, Brother Kemi, you are already an activist and, and I love you so much. I saw you speak in the Rise of the World and I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I need him in my corner. How are you doing, brother? What's going on? <laughs> I appreciate that kind of intro and just to be able to have the little bit of, of smiles and laughter and just as everybody else has been echoing, just the, the safe, the, the comfort. It's been interesting to even through hearing everybody else's uh, experience, like validating what I'm feeling, right? Because I think it's this idea that, you know, we met in the Rise Up world because we we're entrepreneurs as well, right? That the being a social driven entrepreneur is that is that journey between activism and and just going straight for the money. Like we're in the middle trying to to, to do social work and it's like I'm in the middle promoting my own workshop. And I'm like, should I be doing this or should I be doing something else? Because I'm like I'm half emotional half like trying to stand up for something trying to get details and it's just this kind of trauma loop so i'm seeing myself live it and as boomy said i'm trying to remember what has happened at the same time as keep having to focus on progress and what else is possible but it's just definitely getting harder and i'm not even trying to seek this information out it just keeps on showing up i'm like damn like i'm just like legitimately trying to stay focused on what i'm doing and it uh, in some ways, I'm grateful that it's challenging me to continue to step up. In other ways, I'm just like, yo, can I get a day off? Like, can I, can I, can I live? You know, can I legitimately just like have breathe. a Sunday and breathe? You know, can I, can I get that? So I appreciate the opportunity to to get real, and thank you for that. Yes, sir. And so, bottom right is Alan Simmons, a poet, a man after my heart. Alan, you served in the U.S. Marine, like I was in the Air Force, but you were a black male in the US Marine. And I was going through your pictures yesterday. I was like, look at this brother. And I love what you wrote about, you know, you, you, you just happened to be alive. You know, you had brothers that killed themselves, brothers that died in the war. I mean, you are here today. So of course that means your work is not done. So how are you doing, brother, Alan? Yes, yes, thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, and I'm honored to be here. Um, I, as a veteran, uh, African-American male, I am just, I'm not shocked at what's going on. And, you know, being from Charleston, South Carolina, you see a lot of things and you hear a lot of things and you get called a lot of things. So, you know, a lot of this isn't new to, new to me. Um, I think it's catching up with a lot of people who haven't been around it in their life. So being in the Marine Corps and, and, and having people that are racist, uh, excuse the Black Lives Matter, like they pretend that it doesn't mean anything or they pretend that we're terrorists for saying that Black Lives Matter, it gets me upset. So I'm excited to hear what's my, my side, so thank you so much. 
You're welcome. And last but definitely not the least, I have brother Will, William Moore. He is not even on social media. That's how cool this cat is. Like he doesn't do social media. You got to go find him. But he, you know, I, I met him in another panel and I just was just endeared to him. I was like, this is what I want my son. Cause I, you know, and I, I get emotional when I talk about my boy, but this is, I, I just said, this is what I want my son to grow up to be like, like he is, He's a ground zero. He is actually in Minnesota. Like, and he, I listened to him talk about how he said he's going to go out there and protest until he has no more feet to protest. So how are you doing, Brother William? Or how are you doing? Well, that's the million dollar question. Um, so first and foremost, greetings, everybody. Greetings. So, uh, look, all the other panelists uh, today, you know, feel privileged, happy and privileged to be here with you all. Or I am a public health professional, a doula, lactation educator, and a writer for Black Yoga Magazine. I'm here in uh, Minneapolis, uh, in Minnesota, um, you know, not only home to, you know, what just happened to Mr. George Floyd a couple of weeks ago, but also Philando Castile, you know, about a year or so ago. I am um, making it. You know, I am trying to stay, uh, <clears throat> I'm trying to stay strong and and, uh, um, and focused and driven, just like I'm sure everybody else is. But I'm also uh, intent on staying determined and keeping the pressure on the biggest reasons that I wanted to be a part of this panel, um, to be, to, to, to be in a, and speak amongst a group of other individuals who can empathize with the way that I feel and the things that I've been going through, um, but also kind of make sure that, you know, I'm getting encouraged and also able to encourage them and also for us to be inspiration to other people, or other folks out there watching this to keep the pressure on, um, keep the pressure on to push change because I feel all too often when these type of tragedies happy, uh, happen in our communities, you know, we get upset you know, we might protest for a little bit, you know, folks hashtag, do a couple little things on social media. Then after about a week or two, everything goes back to normal. And the powers that be totally understand that, which is why they've been so reluctant to change because we really haven't persevered and forced them to change. Um, yes. We also have been doing it by ourselves. And the one thing that's different about it now is you're starting to see a coalition of individuals out there in the public fighting against the same things that we're fighting against. Should it have taken uh, a worldwide pandemic for other folks to notice? Absolutely not. Um, our word as Black people should have been good enough for the past 401 years of telling the public what we have been experiencing and going through and things that they could have seen through their own eyes. But nevertheless, I'm glad that folks are starting to wake up. And um, yeah, I'm just here I'm, and, and happy to be a part of the group uh, and help encourage one another and uh, help drive and push more change. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you've, you've already unpacked a lot and we haven't even just the first five minutes, we already, you already unpacked a lot. I love what you said about, I'm gonna rephrase that and paraphrase and say, whenever you wake up is your morning. So we're glad that the rest of the world is like, okay, good morning guys. Okay, well, get in line. But before I go any further, we've got our brother, brother Lawrence Washington in the building. He was with me last Sunday and I know the cat, he's got a great heart. A man, a family man, a man of God. What's going on, Brother Lawrence? How are you doing? You know, better late than never. You're African, so you're fine. 
African time. So what's going on, Brother Lawrence? We should get started with the with the conversation. Yes, well, and thank you first and foremost uh, for having me uh, uh, once again. Like just being a part of this conversation, it 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 uh, helps with me as a black man, as a man who has who who has already suffered, you know, through 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 uh, grief, and you know, I'm I've been in a dark place. Me engaging in this type of conversation. With 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 like-minded people, with my people, you know, it is definitely it's 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 helping the healing process. So so thank you for having me, Doctor. You're welcome. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, somebody asked me how I was doing yesterday, and and it's the same answer. I am I am uh, hopeful. Right. I'm sad. I'm grieving. I'm mourning. I'm uh, angry and I'm grateful and I'm thankful all at the same time. So that's exactly how I'm doing. Like, like I can't try to uh, try to muster up the best answer. All I can do is just say what's there for me right now is that I am all of the above and I am okay with that. I, I love the fact that you said you're okay with that because one of my favorite mantras is it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. So yes, yeah. admitting that you're not okay for me is the beginning of the journey. We gotta open the door so we can go in. This is so cool. So I'm gonna start with, with Kevin Wilson, Reverend Kevin Wilson. And your question is gonna be, the same question I'm gonna ask everybody in, in, in a different way, but you are at the hospital every day. You are seeing people coming in dying. You are seeing people coming in living. You're going there to minister to them. How has this COVID-19, if at all, played a part in what you see today with this quote unquote intolerance? Because that's what they think. We are like, oh, you guys, you, you calm down already. Slavery's been over. And I just want to punch you when you say that. Literally, needless yeah. to say, how are you doing? How, how do you think the COVID-19, because you saw them in the hospital. How do you think that that played into what you're seeing at the restlessness and the agitation right now? Oh, it's, it, it played in a lot. Um... COVID-19 was a, a wake-up call for me. Um, man, never seen so many sick people in a hospital. I, I've seen sick people, but um, this was a different kind of illness. This was a different kind of monster that came in. Um, in the beginning, you know, it was mostly um, African-Americans um, in the hospital. And the grief that I suffered, um, that I wasn't aware of, that I had within myself was... Oh my God, it, it was, it was mind blowing um, to suffer that, that, to deal with the grief that I didn't know that I was dealing with. So um, that was an eye opening to me. And then um, it just brought awareness. It's like, it's like, um, I look at it like God is correcting our vision in the year of 2020. Um, you know, 2020 is, you know, people say it's the year of vision, um, perfect vision. Um, and I don't think everybody in the world was looking at the world as 2020, some looked at 8020 and different different things. So I think now he's correcting our vision. Um, there were times when, um, like before COVID, I would get on the elevator and people would move over. You know, the people of different cultures will move over, or people would walk across the street because I was walking down the street, or they cling onto their purse. So this is the lifestyle that I was living, you know, my whole life. Um, and now when COVID came. 
you know, now people are experiencing what I've been experiencing the whole time. It's like um, going into uh, the gas station in the sub uh, in the urban areas where they have the fiberglass and the bulletproof glass that's there that we have to see. And we're not, you know, in, in the rural areas in, in the suburbs, we don't have, they don't have that, but now they have it. So they're experiencing what we've been experiencing the whole time. And so now it's a wake up call like, oh, this is just so bad, you know, um, being locked in a house, not being told where, when you can go outside, when you can't go outside, lying up in a store. I remember in high school, you know, doing high school times and you go to the gas station, they would allow so many kids, you know, black kids to go in a gas station at the same time. So now you look at Walmart, you look at all these stores where people are lining up. You're just experiencing what we experienced the whole time. So now, you know, the vision is being corrected. God is, God is exposing what we've been going through the whole time. And it, and it's, it's just like an eye opener to some. And, you know, I didn't feel like when everything was going on, you know, I felt, I felt bad for the COVID victims. But then, you know, people will complain about, oh, I got to stay in the house and I got to do this and I can't do this. And I didn't feel sad at all because I felt like my life was like that in the beginning anyway. You know, so I, I didn't have any empathy, even though I'm supposed to, you know, have sympathy and empathize with people. But at that time, because of the anger that I felt, I felt like, hey, you guys are just going through. Welcome to my world. Welcome. Welcome to what I'm going through. Welcome to how it feels like when you go into an elevator and people leave the elevator because you're the only black up in there. Welcome to the world when people have to, you know, walk across the street or don't feel like talking or stop the conversation because you enter into the room. Man, it's crazy. So now everybody has experienced that. And so now the only thing that you can see of people are their eyes. The so eyes. Like God is like correcting, like I'm trying to correct your vision. It's not what you say, but it's what you see. So I'm trying to get you to correct your vision to see how things are in the world because you're not looking through the lens that I'm looking through. And still to today, when you try to explain to them, you know, when I talk about racial things, when I talk about being a black man in America, you know, some people are appalled at all. Do you really have to, is that really how it is? Yes, that's really how it is. But you don't, Absolutely. You don't know that you have privilege when you're in privilege. Oh. You're not aware of, you're not aware of it when you always live in that way. Like, like, like my parents' house. I can go in my parents' house and go straight to the refrigerator. Don't have to ask because I have that privilege. But if someone else come in the house, they can't go in a refrigerator just like I can because they don't know that they don't have that privilege. And so it's the same thing, you know, with, with jobs and everything. And, you know, it's, it's just an eye opener. And I was just, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm privileged to be in the place that I am to deal with what I'm dealing with. Because like I said, when COVID-19 hit, it was, it was a wake up call to see so many people dying and so many people, you know, family members. And I seen how people came together because of that, because you have people that are standing at a door looking at their loved ones and not being able to touch them at that time. And so we have to be there to whether, you know, black, Hispanic, white, whoever it was, we have to rally around that person and, and stop them from going into that room because of what everything was going through. Because the, the, that grief is, you know, you don't have that touch. And I, I'm afraid in, in these places like here, it just, it just separated us from one another uh, and, and not being able to touch one another or hug one another or embrace one another. You know, and then when um, 
um, George Floyd died and, you know, that came, it was like, okay, I'm turning it up some so you all can see what's really going on in the world. And it's been going on all the time, but most of the time we just ignore it. So we've been ignoring what's been happening all these years. And then it just didn't start in the 2000s. You know, it started a long time ago, but, you know, you're aware of it. We bring it to your attention and then, you know, we push it under the rug. But it, look, it looks like this time we're, we're tired of being swept under the rug because the rug is so big, you know, the pile is so big now that the rug has become part of the pile. And so now <laughs> it's just time to expose everything. And, and, you know, and I thank God for this panel, you know, and I'm so, I'm so excited just to hear what everybody else had to say, but I just yeah. had to get that out because, you know, I'm, like, like Brother Lawrence said, you know, I'm dealing with so many emotions and you try to grab hold of one at one time whether it be grief, whether it be anger, whether it be, you know, sadness, you know, they all come at the same time. And it's okay to have those emotions. It's okay to have those feelings because, you know, I, I talk about, um, you know, growing up, how only emotions that I knew growing up was anger and mad and sad. Those are the three, either I was mad at something, angry, or I was sad. But now I have, really told me that. Yeah, I have all these other emotions now. I'm like, I'm crying for no reason. I'm like, why am I crying, you know? But everything is so, you know, just going on in me. You just have to, you have to pause. And like somebody said earlier, it, it's like we got to a place where we had to pause and stop and realize and, and relate to what's going on and reflect on the world, reflect on our day. Like what's going on right now at this moment? What is God trying to tell me in this moment right here? Well, I can pause and sit back. I'm going to ask you one question. I remember on your Facebook page, you posted Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Wasn't it you that posted that? Like yeah, this I did. Week? I yeah. remember that. So does, I mean, I, I, it wasn't a question. It was more like, I remember seeing that because I've been pulling yeah. on everybody's Facebook pages and just kind of knowing what your mindset says. So I'm going to hop on to Dr. Kingsley, just to kind of, just kind of pull on to the health aspect really quick. And also because you have two students and we have a question here. Somebody already asked, how do you raise our sons? And I know you happen to have two sons. So Dr. Kingsley, Agbe, Agbe, somebody said, what advice do you have for our growing sons? But before you say you answer that, how, how has the, you're being a hospitalist, you're basically at ground zero for COVID-19. How has that played into your emotions with what's going on right now? You got two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, gee, all that? All right, I'll try. So it's been hard. All talking, we're all excited, go ahead. All right, can you hear me? Good. Okay, I'm not on mute. Okay, so it's yeah. been hard. When the patients first started coming in, I mean, it was just COVID, what's this? And, and then, you know, I take care of sick, sick, sicker patients. Basically, patients are sick enough to be admitted to the hospital. So we would do what we're supposed to do and talk to the families. And, you know, sometimes, you know, and early on, granted, not that much was known about the, the disease. But as time went by, we started to understand more about how it worked. And then we started to see things like, well, um, there was a disproportionate way in terms of hospitalizations uh, of minorities and deaths as well. In fact, they did a study in New York, and um, I think about 90, uh, 92 of every um, 100,000 of the population were African-Americans, close to like about 70-something were Hispanics and 40-something maybe Asians and whites, even less than that. And then also, you know, the death rates were also as high. So that was just, you know, and this was kind of like, we're blindsided by that because we didn't really think you know, the, the, the virus was, was that, you know, selective in that sense. And it's not. So when you look at the, when you drill down, you find that it's really because there's, a, there's an inequality in the distribution and redistribution of wealth that has been, you know, systematic over time. 
I mean, when I came, I was, I was actually born in England, but I'm from Nigeria originally, same as Uche. And when I came to this country over 20 years ago, I had to educate myself about Jim Crow and, you know, the redlining and all these things have been, you know, people have been disenfranchised for a long time. So it's not surprising to see that these things are happening. People, you know, where they live, where they work, where they eat, where they play, that's what's going to affect the outcome. So you find that if people live close together, if they're in like, say, a close unit, the virus is going to affect them more. If they work in like, say, um, custodial uh, environments where they're doing a lot of cleaning and things like that, they, they're going to be more exposed because these are the people that, you know, and you, that's why there are so many minorities that exactly. are being affected so by this. So, but uh, I, I guess I digress a bit, but I've only got two minutes. So talking about uh, the boys now, the uh, being a dad, it's tough, you know, because you're trying to shelter your kids as much as you can. But the reality is they are black kids in this environment. And yes, Atlanta is birth right of civil rights movements and all. And we're fortunate because we live in a, I guess, semi-suburban, fairly good neighborhood, if you will. But still, when my, friend, when my kids go to their friends' houses that maybe live in Buckhead and stuff, um, they have to be careful. Um, Ed Moses, the Olympian, a uh, good medalist, uh, he was in the news recently, he was talking about the same thing where he had to tell his two sons that it's not okay to jump over a fence in your white friend's house if they forget the key or, you know, and I could, I could relate to that because once I was picking up my kids from a friend's house, my oldest son, and there was some delay opening the gate. This was in Buckhead. And these kids, two black boys, my boy and his, uh, my, my kid, his black friend went to see a white friend. They actually jumped over the fence come to the car because I was delayed enough to get I'm like no you cannot do that because these people will shoot first or ask questions later or maybe if you're lucky they'll call the police and if you're unlucky they'll shoot you too so it's yes. like you've got to be careful and my point is you've got to educate your kids and protect them at the same time you know and let them understand that it's not a level playing field regardless of what your socioeconomic status is Wow, I love that. That was so powerful. And then, and of course, that begs the question, and I'm going to ask Brother Bumi Samuel, how careful can you be? And I don't know if you have children. I didn't, I didn't get that deep into your Facebook page, but how careful can you be? And after you, I'm going to ask Lawrence Washington. Lawrence had on his Facebook stories, he said, 2020 was like a big bucket of water. Boom! Like, you know, that's what I, I thought about that when... Um, Kingsley was talking about how it just kind of blindsided us. Kevin, 2020 was like, oh, you're here. Okay, you want a glass of water? Well, here's a bucket, boom. And it's like ice water. So brother Bumi Samuel, how careful can we really be? I mean, that's what um, Dr. Kingsley, and I, and I hear his heart. I know what he's saying. I, I already stopped talking to, I stopped having the talk with my sons a, a while ago. I'm not talking to them I mean, anymore because it doesn't matter whether you're careful or not careful. You're yeah. gonna get shot because you're black. So. Dr. Bumi, how careful can you be? So I think the question how careful you can, can you be uh, has to start with, um, I think how we get to our answers has to start with good questions, right? What, what questions we're asking. Um, and how careful can you be, I think starts with where are you, where are you at, right? What are you existing, right? What are we existing in and, and is it different than what we existed in before, right? So we know the concept of race is, was uh, a race, literal race for resources, land, property, um, access, right? Um, we were the labor and the essential workers, right? In order to establish that, that, that wealth, establish that, that lineage of wealth that, that we see in the world. So we've been essential workers. This whole concept of essential workers is not a new concept. 
Uh, we've been essential workers from the very beginning. And what happens if we were not, if we decided not to come to work, right? The, 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 this country we're talking about wouldn't exist, right? So, we, so what we're seeing currently is that, that it's a breakdown in society that has been happening for some time now. And it's been bubbling for some time now. So when I hear people say, you know, I'm not my ancestors, I always go back to understanding that we're not really asking the right question and we're not really aware of, of, of what we, what, what's, what's, what's taken place. Um, cause we, cause we know that our ancestors, um, and only way, only reason why we're here now on this call at 3:39 Eastern is because our ancestors decided to resist, right? We would not be here if they didn't decide to, to resist, right? We would be, we would, we would not be functioning. We would not be in our, in our, our, our privilege to be able to have conversation, even to even evaluate or reflect on what's going on if our ancestors didn't resist, right? And that's a narrative that we have to be very clear about when we talk about the history of our people whether it be um, overseas in, in the various continents, whether it be in the Caribbean, whether it be in America. So how careful can we be is that we are, we've always been preparing to survive. Um, and preparing to survive, um, and for me, because I'm somebody who has gone through a series, since I've been very young in New York City, we've always had a lot of unrest. Um, in New York City, you're taught very early how to exist, how to survive, how to be mindful, how to how to survey your environment, how to, to, to be able to size your environment up. Uh, you become a survivalist very early. And I, and I was talking to a friend of mine that at age seven, I was riding a train in New York City um, and going to places in New York City where you had to be mindful of how to exist. I didn't realize that I was being prepared for various moments at a very early age. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents didn't hide me or shield me from that. Uh, we had conversations about race and talking about young people and children. We had conversations about privilege and pre prejudice. I think you, your, your ability to expose um, young people to it, to what's going on very early from a historical standpoint, from a sociological standpoint, um, and from a reality standpoint, allows them to be prepared for the moments that they will face. They will face these moments. Um, and you hiding them from the moments is only putting them deeper at risk. They have to be fluent in how to navigate their environment, fluent in many languages, how to, how to, be, in the, how to be in the boardroom, how to be in the classroom, how to be in their community, how to also, how to love themselves enough to have self-care because that's also a fluency, right? If you, if self-care is not something that, we've talked about it now very often, but self-care has kind of been a, a additional, right? And I heard a brother say he was a doula, he was a, he was a yoga practitioner. That self-care is about the everyday practice that you have in your repertoire that allow you to have longevity in your life and sustain, and sustain yourself in your life. So while we're being activists, while we're being business people, while we're being, um, while we're protesting, while we're standing for our humanism, while we're saying that we don't need permission to be human, right? That's where we we're starting. We don't need permission to be human. And because we've been seen as less than human, we have a conflict of relationship. We have a conflict of relationship right now. The police is not, it's not, it's not, a con, it's not about policing in itself, it's a conflict of relationship. Because you don't see me as I see myself. That automatically is going to create conflict. If you see me as being somebody who is automatically guilty. As I watched the Brother Versailles Brooks video this morning, it broke my heart because he was, he, was, he was attempting to negotiate his life. He knew this. He was attempting to say, I'm a good guy. I went out and had, had a drink and a half, right? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make it home. We're all trying to figure out how to make it home. And that idea, since I've been a young kid, that whole idea is get home safe. Yes, yes. Oh That's my God. Idea, right? 
Brother Bumi, I have to say something. You know, I'm writing this book that's called How to Teach Your Children About Racism. The last phrase, the last sentence in that book is, I'm just a mother that wants her babies to come home. I right. just want my kids to come home. Like, how hard can that be for people to get it? We just want our children to come home at night in the evening when they get when they're done i just want my baby to come home like how hard can that be for people to understand it, i love what you're saying i love what you're saying and you change, you change it's, it's, it's hard it's hard because we're having a conflict of relationship yes right we're having we're having a conflict a conflict of not being seen whole <laughs> and i think that the i think that all the work we're doing now has to come back to we're talking about defund police we're talking about organizing we have to come back to a, 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 a very solid platform and structure that says, I, I, come, I come whole. I need to come home. I come whole. I come whole. And because I come whole, I deserve, my, my life has meaning. That's what has to start. Um, and I, and, and if, we, if, if we're coming from that point of view, then collectively, we have a different conversation that we can come to the table with, right? Um, we also have to understand that where we are and where we sit, we, we sit in a globe, we sit in a country, um, we sit in a country that's based on collective worth. And when we decide our collective worth is worth leveraging for the sake of our futures, things will shift. And that's exactly why we have to keep saying it's not about all lives not mattering, it's about black lives mattering as part of the whole. If you have a, a hand that has five fingers and this is the black life of the finger, without the black life, these fingers are not going to work. I mean, it's like we need to get it already. No one says all lives. And then for somebody to say buildings, lives matters. I mean, how insulting can it be? Oh, Brother Bumi, thank you so much so, for, for so, making so, me over here. Oh. So in, in understanding our worth, right, both both from a from a from a, a human standpoint, both from a whole standpoint, and that and, and I say that because I've as you know, Chenna, I got into a very bad accident in 2014. I saw that, where, yeah. Where you know, where I lost my ability to 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 walk for, you know, walk. And I've been in rehab for five years. And it took me as a black man realizing that as a black man who has a disability, not only was I viewed as a second-class citizen, I was viewed as a third-class citizen. I was yes. invisible, I was invisible. Um, and, but I couldn't see myself as invisible. See, it, it's, it's, about, it's, about, it's about how you see yourself also, right? It's about how you show up because people will project what they, how they see you, but it's about how you see yourself, how you communicate yourself. So for me, I had to go through a long journey, even though I felt really good about myself, I had to go through a long journey of really preparing myself to be seen without, without asking for permission. Not looking yeah. for validation. I look for somebody to say, you know, you, you know, you can do it versus I know I can do it and I will do it. When that position is taken and you can have that conversation from that position, that $1.2 trillion that black people spend, you know, sit every year, the conversation shifts. When you say, you know what, if you're if you're not willing to respect a relationship that sees me as human, I'm not willing to have a have a relationship that that, that exchanges value. That's it. Let's change, the, let's change the conversation because we, we still oftentimes come to the table asking for someone to see us. In that position, any, and we're entrepreneurs or, or you know, we, we come from a place where we're talking about sustainability and self-reliance, self-determination. You come with that perspective of someone having to see you, you're already at a deficit. You're already not going to get the respect you deserve. Oh, I'm you so- have able, You have to be willing to say, you know what? If you cannot see me whole, I have to step away. Like, Are you ready to see me whole? We can have another conversation. Yeah.
And that's the negotiation that we have to be a part of it when we're talking about this place that we're at right now. That's right. We cannot have a conversation if we're not two equals having the conversation. You can try that with your toddler and see how that works out. Okay. Just try that with your toddler. And I'm talking about a toddler. So needless to say, brother Bumi, you make me cry every time I listen to you. I just love it so much. So here, here are the points. How careful can we be was the question. He said, it's not a level playing field. And if it's not a level playing field, you cannot. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. You can be playing in your living, in your grandmother's backyard, and they'll come and pump your body full of bullets because it's not a level playing field. And I love the fact that you said about the race. Race is about race to resources and land and access. I didn't even know that that's the origin of the word race. Oh my God. All right. Brother Blakey, I got to come to you because you made me cry this morning with Facebook posts. You are an angry black man and I give you knuckles for that. You should be angry. So talk to us, Brother Blake. How are you doing with all of this? I mean, I wanted to ask you the question about, he says we should be fluent. We should be fluent with how to navigate the environment. How are you doing with that phrase that Brother Bumi gave to us? You should be fluent with how to navigate the environment because you, you are one brother that is not afraid to say that you're mad. And I love that. Hmm. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, um, thank you. It, it's, it's taken me quite some time to get comfortable with expressing my emotions. I think somebody said it earlier, you know, I grew up uh, only knowing really two or three of them, which was being happy, sad, or being mad. We didn't even um, have happy in it. He said sad, mad, or, yeah, or well, angry. I added, I added that, that was me. I, I, know, I know, I know. Yeah, that's because that's a black person. man in America, sad, mad, or angry. Right. You know? uh, I guess for me is I'm engaged with that process of trying to figure out where I stand in this movement. I was a teacher for a number of years and I left teaching simply because of the politics and bureaucracy and a lot of things that I saw behind the scenes in combination with my own personal struggles. I literally had an administrator tell me the death of my grandmother was not a good enough excuse to miss work. And so that let me know that this is not a place that I need to be working. And I chose to be a teacher to go into education for the very reason of what we're seeing right now, this new influx of consciousness that people are seeing. I chose to dedicate my life to be over $100,000 in student loan debt because I wanted to really prepare the next generation to have the reading and writing skills, the basic skills to go out and fight what it is that I'm now as an adult still fighting and dealing with. And so for me, where I am is I'm really trying to figure out where I stand. Um, I don't, I'm currently unemployed and I don't plan on going back to work for anybody else ever again in my life simply because I need the ability to sit and engage in spaces like this. I must have the ability to move and navigate this world in a way that is best for me. And I don't need to be asking nobody else for permission on how to be me. I think that that's something that we just said, which is that I'm tired of trying to be something that I'm not. You know, I feel that, and, and I'll say this as an example, you know, like what I have on right now, like some people may deem this as unprofessional attire, but who who made that rule? You know what I'm saying? So in the midst of everything that I'm seeing, it's just, I'm in the process of positioning myself in a way that is sustainable so I can really begin to make an impact on the world. Because ultimately, that's why I became a teacher. That's why I spent all of my 20s trying to, be in a, a professional and you know trying to shape my character and, and be something that deep down inside I wasn't um I find that now being in a much better 
space mentally, the fact that I can express myself, the fact that I don't care about who sees my Facebook posts anymore, the fact that I can go live and connect with other like-minded individuals lets me know that I'm on the right path. You know, I, I like as as entrepreneurs trying to start this business, um, that's really what's keeping me together as well, because I know that there is a way. I haven't quite figured out all the pieces yet, but I'm going to get there. And, 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 and like many of us, um, I'm constantly getting distracted. I know. I'm constantly getting distracted by the shit. I'm, I'm sorry. By, by the <laughs> shit that we see. I'm sorry. But like, you know, I, I, I had an agenda today. I got a conference later with my team and different things like that. But then you can't escape riding down 75, 85 and not see 30 police cars lined up. This isn't something that I was made aware of on social media. And so it's, I think somebody else said it, it's like your brain is having to do so many different things at the same exact time. It's like, okay, I want to go out here and protest, but I'm really angry and I, and I want to burn down the building, but I know I shouldn't be doing that. And I should be trying to be peaceful. I should be praying and meditating. And, you know, I, I, I literally was in the shower for like, so my fingers are still kind of pruny from how, how long I was just in the shower, just praying and crying because I couldn't just... I had to physically feel something. I had to physically do something. And when I made that post on Facebook yesterday, I it, it, I felt it on my spirit to just get it off my chest. You know. And so, with all that being said, I, I think it's important for me to continue to to engage with that process to figure out how I can create a sustainable income for myself, not just because I want to have money, but because there's a real war going on outside. And I know that I'm a soldier on the battlefield as well, regardless if I'm behind a computer screen or I'm out here in the streets with my fist in the air screaming Black Lives Matter. So it's a process and it's a very, very, very difficult process, but I'm finding comfort in having conversations like this. I'm finding comfort and peace in meeting other like-minded Black men who who just simply get it. You know, get it. Just get like I don't have to explain like I don't have to explain my anger. I have to explain like y'all know how I feel. You know what I'm saying? Blake, the black women get it too. Now I'm a sister. Absolutely, 100. Thank you so much. I'm going to hop on to William Moore for two reasons. I was going to do Alan because Alan was in the military, and you mentioned something about war. But Alan, I'm coming to you. But William Moore, I'm picking William because William's sister is in the police at Minnesota. William, ooh, mama, I listened to that episode you had and you talked about how you are, you are at war with, you, you know, you want to protest, but then your sister wears the blue uniform and then your parents are the parents of the two of you. I'm not going to say anymore. Brother William, tell us what's going on in your heart because I know your heart is like right now. So I'll say just like kind of and on that uh, episode like it breeds it breeds conflict in me but it didn't stop me from being out there and getting tear gas and pepper sprayed um you know it is it is it is it is difficult to you know when you're getting hit with and you see police and riot gear that one of them is the things that kept keeps me resolute and still continuing to do that is several reasons 
one, I know by doing that, I'm ultimately fighting for her too, because I can't take off my skin color. But when she takes off that badge and when she takes off that uniform, she's still going to be a black woman. Yeah. And she's already expressed to me in several different times when she has been pulled over before and how she was treated mm -hmm. when she wasn't in uniform by other officers. Yeah, we can and then all of a sudden their tone changes. Well, some of them, their tone changes when they find out she is off. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you, but it's like there's a there's a delay. Yeah, brother Kemi is saying kind of iffy. It's it's coming and going, and I know you're you're dropping serious nuggets, but it's coming and going. It's like it's dragging like that. Yeah, I apologize for that. It might be my surroundings or whatnot. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, but um. I can't take off my skin color. She can take off her badge and uniform. When she takes off her badge and uniform, she's still going to be a black woman. And she's still going to have to go through some of the same things that I go through. And so very much through this. In the end, what I do is still a lot of love for her and the rest of my people. And, and for me, that's what I do. Of course, why I got to do my job of being a doula and lactation educator. I do it for my people. Because systematic racism exists in all walks of life for us. 243% of black women die as opposed to white women uh, from childbirth related causes. Everything I do is for my people. And I won't let that stop me just because I have a relative on the other side of the line. Because as I said, in the end, I'm still doing it for them too, you know? And so, hey, you know, that's been one of the things that's uh, kept me going and been in conflict. The other thing that has kind of uh, had me take my ego away from it a little bit and still be able to, to handle doing that, you know, doing that on a day-to-day -day basis and stuff like that is also thinking about how my parents feel. How would you feel as a, as a parent when there's essentially like everybody's saying, there's a war going on outside, but you have two children, one on opposite sides. And you know, and, and, and as a parent, you know, both of them are stubborn and ready to lay down for theirs because both that's one thing that made me do i know that when a push comes to shove i'm ready to lay down for mine i'm not afraid of it i almost died five years ago so that's no longer a mystery to me wow and i know her she's just as stubborn so mm -hmm. that's so that's so that's a real battle that's something i have to think about when i when i tell people that, you know what I mean, you need to protect yourself against law enforcement. When I went out and got my conceal and carry, and I know that other, other, other African-Americans are doing it too, and that one of the byproducts of that, maybe unintended, is that police officers get, 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 you know, get harmed. I know full well that one of those officers could be my sister. Yes. Ah, oh, that is so But again, I have, to do, I have to do what I have to do for my people, and I have to, I have to lead and, and model the oppressed. And we've been, we've been oppressed, ran over, attempted to be destroyed for 401 years. Everybody talks about when we got freedom. It's a, the Civil War was one of the bloodiest wars in, in history, world history, not American history, wars in world history, just to get freedom for us and, and, and on paper, not practice, paper. 
because we were still made slaves through uh, uh, through indentured servitude that came in the form of sharecropping. Then you got Jim Crow. Then you got prison industrial of the black and brown bodies. That population is us. Brother William, if you yeah. can hear me, could you maybe try to reconnect with um, something else? Because I love what you're saying. It is, ooh, but it's, it's really um, choppy. And while you're doing that, I'm going to come back to you because I love what you're saying. I'm going to bring in the Zen of Brother Kemi because Kemi just brings this calm energy into the room. And I, I need your energy right now because you don't see me cry. You see me laugh. You see me get upset already. And I'm telling you right now, as a mother of three, not one or two, but three black men, I'm pissed off. So Brother Kemi, how can you make us, I don't know. I don't even know. I'm struggling with that same question. I'm doing a lot of writing here. People are dropping some powerful truths here. So I'm just taking notes. If you're seeing me like looking down, it's just because I'm, I, that's why I came here. I was like, I'm in the middle of all this stuff. I was like, no, nah, I have to learn. I just, I, so I appreciate the, all the wisdom being shared here. And I mean, I think I have more questions than I have any, any information, right? Because it's just, this is, uh, you know, one of my mentors who, put me on this path of education and literally changed my life and helped me get the scholarships to get the degrees behind me. She, we were messaging and she, uh, she's just so brokenhearted over this and, and sharing what you all have been sharing, like that this has been, this has been the, the mistreatment for so long. And, you know, I've actually avoided history I've avoided trying to learn some of these things so I don't so I try to like, I've been trying to let go of the angry black man I can feel that that tension what's inside of me and then you know we uh I'm, I'm doing my best to, to to stay hopeful and to look at what has been progress I mean I have officers in my family as well and I've like reached out to all three of them to say all right yeah like I, this is I literally have to find out what's a good solution right I can't keep hearing what everybody else is shouting angrily and like let's talk to people who are inside one side of this or, or, or one group of this. And this was the first day of all days that I made a post like directly calling something like this out. And I said, you know, it was just like RIP Kemi. You know, what if, um, what if it was me, right? Just like people in my group, people who have been sharing me love, what if that was me who, and, and not what if it was me in that situation? What if it was me who just doesn't come home for a random situation, right? And this is the first time that I had somebody kind of come at me because usually what I post is it's trying to walk that middle line and bring more people together to reconcile versus uh, the division that we're seeing here. And I think the division happens when we start getting so caught up in these situations. And like the, you know, if I just speak from my perspective and just hearing, I realize how conditioned I am when you talk about that question about safety, it's like, yo, I was told exactly, you know, you know, hands on the wheel, I'm going to like be, you know, I'm going to speak very respectfully. I'm lowering all my window. You know, I've been told what to do. And so when I hear, when I've heard of all these other situations happen, I've been complicit in this as well, because my assumption has been, oh, if they're already doing, like they're, they're, there's an encounter with the police because that person is like ghetto or they're doing something wrong or they're doing something. And, then, and I can see how people are getting caught up in this, right? My dad was hit by a drunk driver. So I don't care about anybody driving drunk. I'm never gonna like be like, yeah, go ahead and do that. No, no, it's it's there's a there's a behavior that this guy was doing, and then there's mistakes from both him and the officer in this situation. 
and there's other information that I'm still trying to verify with how the officers treated the how the officers treated him after the threat was neutralized, right? Like there's this conversation in my mind where I'm torn between neutralizing what we perceive as a threat and talking about anybody who's drawn a weapon, but there's like so many more layers of what happened to just throwing down like hands, like what happened to hands before anything. If there's two against one, like I don't even understand. I'm just trying to understand the logic of some of these things. And then there's batons and then there's, there's, uh, there's um, tasers. Like there's so many more levels of non-lethal threat that it's like, even if, even if we're going to that conversation of trying to neutralize somebody who is active, that, that, that they feel is a threat, I'm still not understanding the, where the dots are missing. And, and I'm just, I've been calling people just trying to, to understand of from their, from the officer's perspective so that we can actually come up in this, in this one issue, right? Cause I, I talk about prejudices as not being issue driven. All these are symptoms. But it's like, if this is the hot issue right now that, that is inflaming so many uh, communities, what is it? Are we, I think the greater problem is we stop listening to each other. And so somebody came at me on Facebook and I was like, hey, I'm willing to have a conversation about my post, right? If you're actually wanting to talk to me, let's talk. And then that was in a DM and then he just started dropping F-bombs, F this guy. I'm like, all right, you're not actually trying to talk to me, mm. right? It's just like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm, I'm willing to know that I'm wrong. I'm willing to know that I don't have information. And I'm also willing to come in conversations like here and listen, right? Listen for the pain, listen for the injustice, listen for how I can help listen for solutions. And I, I, I know that we're, I think what we're describing here is a lot of people are feeling like we're caught in this trauma loop. And so I'm just being honest with my bias of like, I hear half the story and I'm like, Oh, some of this stuff is making sense. Which to me is like, damn, that's a lot of guilt for me to be like, this is making sense. And then I have to like catch myself like, wait, why is that making sense? What have I been told? What have I been shown that says, that the, the escalation that quickly, that quickly makes sense. I'm like, no, that's that's the part that breaks my heart. It's like, wow, that's, that's in my mind spinning around. So I'm trying to literally piece myself back together and figure out what am I doing to to have the hard conversation. So I've actually reached out yeah. people that I've had tension with, whether it's around race or not, just like anybody I have intention with in my life. I'm like, let me just start talking to more people who I've been avoiding. I think what we're saying here across the board is that there's been an avoidance for many people. And if I'm asking people to develop a skill set around reaching out and having difficult conversations, how can I do that more myself and, and, and even invite people who I don't agree with or who don't agree with me? Like, again, if they're like, if they're going to be disrespectful and not having a conversation like those people, I'm not, I don't have the energy for that right now. It's just like, yo, this is the first time in my life I started like blocking and removing people. Like I've never even consider that kind of thing it's like no i don't have time for that because i'm just trying to make time for people who actually are wanting to have conversations who are who are wanting to to move it forward who are not going to get trapped in which group has it worse because there's no way to win that conversation like i'm trying to get to a place where we can like boomy was saying i just i mean i just love whatever i'm just writing all these things like how do we there's one activity i used to do in workshops which was having people stand across a line stand across the line from each other, like you're in partners. When I say go, your objective is to get the other person across the line. And you see people like literally go into tug of war mode, right? This is not about race, this is like leadership, like they just go straight to tug of war mode. Only a few people figure out that 
to get somebody to see the other side, we have to, we literally have to be both willing to go. Like we both at the same time, both be willing to go. And it takes like, a, I mean, this is adults, this is kids. It's like, so as soon as somebody said that there's that line that's drawn and we're trying to get one side to the other side, it's like, we're never gonna win that way. We're never gonna like actually see it. And that's the hardest part when one side has the ability to, to be hostile and validated or, or, or supported or protected yeah. in the hostility. And, and another side is, is like yeah. not really, it's feeling safe. So I keep on coming back to this idea that it's about increasing safety so everybody can feel like they can come home. I think for both for officers, like I said, my sisters are like panicking because the officers in our lives are on the other, other side. Like they could not come home because of somebody mm -hmm. having a weapon. And it's like, this is a conversation about increasing safety, or at least that's, that's what I think it is. It's like, how do we increase the safety and value of human lives across whatever side so people can truly calm the trauma brain and, and feel like they can move forward towards better solutions? Wow, I love it. I mean, just power packed with pain. I love that. That was a tweetable moment right there. Trauma, brother William, welcome back. Can you just mute yourself? I, I we hear you loud and clear. That's awesome. So trauma loop, and then listen to the pain, and then of course about increasing safety of human lives. Ah, the fact that prejudice is a symptom. That's a, that's powerful. So I'm going to hop on to brother Lawrence Washington, the man of God. A young, cool, sly brother. I just love me some brother, Lawrence. Phew, you got lots and lots of daughters, okay? I'm going to come from that angle right now. How are you feeling about having one son? And like he said, like Brother Kemi said, what if that son was yours? Or worse still, what if that was you that didn't come home? How are you processing all of this information? You're, you're still muted. I'm sorry. There's a lot that is going on. Uh you know, in my head, you know, as a father of five girls and one boy, you know, I uh, think about how this time last year, well, well actually on Easter day last year, uh, my son actually drowned in the pool. And uh, by the grace of God, I was actually there to snatch him out. And I actually saw my son lifeless, like laying right before my eyes. So I know the the trauma and the experience that takes place as a father because I actually saw my son at, at three years old lifeless you know stump hit hit uh, his body was cold I was doing CPR and nothing was happening mm. and I can remember me at that moment how my mind went right into that sunken place just like uh, just like the movie Get Out, like I understand exactly what that is. Mm. And at that moment, just to uh, share share like a quick testimony is, you know, uh, my wife came over and she and uh, uh, she began to put her right hand on my son. Uh, she kind of like pushed me out the way because I was out in uh, disbelief. You know, I just lost my mom, and then now my son and uh, my wife. She came. She put her right hand on my son and she said, oh, no, not today. She said, G she said the name of Jesus. She said, Jesus. And all I know is that after she said his name, we set my son up and he, and he came right back to life right before our eyes. So I understand 
the trauma, the emotions, the thoughts, you know, and when you're hit with so much trauma, I, I understand it, it becomes like a numbing feeling, you become numb and you, it's like an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. So I understand how it feels. Now with the understanding, I, I don't want to feel that again. So, so that's where I'm at right now. And I don't want to feel that uh, with my children dealing with racism, dealing with the hate of, of that is flowing out of a human being. You know, my main mission in life is, is to help people discover and fulfill their purpose. I believe that people fulfilling their purpose is the answer to all of to many of life's problems. Because if, if everybody understood the reason why they were even created, because you cannot tell me that, that, that something like this was, was created with the purpose, but not me. So I believe that everybody, you know, like with me being a father, me teaching my children that very principle right there, getting them focused on the reason why they are here. Hmm. And uh, from my belief, I believe that when you are so connected to the reason why you are here, there's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop you from, from fulfilling your God-given assignment. As many people on this earth that wanted to kill Dr. Martin Luther King, they could not do it until his assignment was complete. As many people that wanted to kill Malcolm X, they could not do it until the impact was made. So I just believe that you know, if I can first instill that into my children, as, as far as navigating, knowing what to do, um, just like the brother just said, I'm, I, I'm still looking for answers. I'm still seeking to know. And I understand that at this moment in time, um, just like a, a, a car needs gas to function, at this time, in order for this world, for this country to function, we have to apply understanding. We have to go on a journey and, and get into conversations to seek understanding. Because, because at this moment, it's not a, a, a time to debate our stance. It's not a time for us to debate or you, you know our, our own personal ideas. It's a time for us to really seek understanding because I believe if I can teach my children this, I, I believe that this will actually help them uh, create a space to allow people and themselves to reach a common ground of understanding that, hey, we're both alike. Hey, we, we bleed the same. Hey, we want love as well. We were made to receive and give love too. So I think that's key is, key is is like me right now i'm i'm focusing on my household because i was raised with a mother and father on the south side of chicago moved to flint michigan moved to arizona two and a half years ago so so just me having that type of household having parents that were god-fearing that were so focused on building a relationship with us that i didn't do certain things as a as a child because of my relationship with my with my parents 
not because of fear, but because of my relationship. So I believe that if we can just focus as a people, as a nation, on just building meaningful relationships, if I can uh, f focus on building me a meaningful and a impactful relationship with my children, with my wife in front of my children, like just, just perfecting what I have, having that mindset of I can only do what I can do. And what I can do, I'm gonna do it. So just having that mindset and and just teaching them that, you know, um, that's just where I'm at. But as far as like how to navigate, I'm still searching for answers. I'm still trying to seek understanding. I'm engaging in this conversation because I want to, to be able as a father, as a leader of my household, to develop the right plan, the right strategy to move forward. But right now I'm I'm in listening mode. I'm in in in, in uh, seeking knowledge that I need to have. Not knowledge, not just knowledge, because there's not there's a lot of knowledge that's flowing around, but it's not a lot of necessary knowledge. I need necessary mm -hmm. knowledge, not just a bunch of words, but I need necessary knowledge to help me as a black man, as a father that is a leader within my own household to develop the right strategy, the right plan to push my household forward. Because I know that if I push my household forward, I'm not just affecting my household, I'm affecting everybody that my children come in contact with. I'm affecting a whole generation. I'm affecting the, the community, the streets, everybody, Everybody will benefit if I just continue to just focus on what matters the most, which is me doing what I can do and just doing it. I love it. I love it. I told you guys, Brother Lawrence, young cat, just a blessed man, just a smart guy. And then he also men mentors youth. So, you know, of course, I love him on a special level. But that brings us to Alan Simmons. Thank you for your patience. You've been patient, Brother Alan. Can you hear me, Brother Alan? Oh, man, because I know he's driving. He's on a journey. Can you hear me, Brother Alan? Yes, I can hear yeah. you. Can you hear okay. me? Awesome, awesome. Thank you. I didn't mean, I didn't, we're not forgotten, not at all. I can see everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like when, when somebody asks, when somebody says something, I want to go to the person that I think might be right. able to be there. So that's kind of where I was going with that. And I want, I, I want you here because you're a poet. You yeah. said that improv, I don't know if you can even remember, can you, can you do a little bit of it right now? Because it was improv, I, it was <laughs> it was like, oh, the, the British, it was, it was wicked, it was wicked. Serious <laughs> spoken word, can you, can you do a little bit of that now, do you remember? I mean, that, that was all freestyle, like I didn't, I know, exactly. I just, it was freestyle. <laughs> I'll tell you what, y'all follow him on social media. Find him yeah, yeah. and you will see him. He's got a black background and just him and this one little light. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All 2,300 of them are going to follow you on Instagram. So why right. don't you <laughs> your own perspective, being that you have been in the military, you have served this country like I did. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing these things happening to people like you. And you know, I wanted you in here because there's a lady that posted in a group that said, well, she's, she's Caucasian. Here's what she said. She said, well, I just want, I don't want people to think I'm silent. I'm just not saying anything because of my husband's position in the military. That's why mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything. Needless to say, I took mm -hmm. that with a big bag of salt. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> right. 
um, so you have actually walked the walk with the uniform, with the ABUs. You were in Desert Storm, I think. How are you I doing? Iraq. Iraq, Iraq. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. But you also a Marine. So mm -hmm. how? Every time you see these things happening to one of your brothers, by other people who are who have sworn to protect and serve, how are you? How is it? How does it come into your body? How are you feeling it? Well. Don't look like a smile, but um, <laughs> I uh, I've been the most aggravated I've ever been in my life, and you know, like I said earlier, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, so it's not really that hard to find racism, you know, um, and racist people, and uh, you know that that will do it in your face. But um, you know, I'm sure now people who have never experienced that before are starting to see people for who they are. And I'm not saying people as far as white people, but people in general for, for their beliefs and what they believe in. So I've experienced people uh, just being upset with my video that you were talking about, you know, with me saying Black Lives Matter and with me expressing my, my feelings, they said I was complaining. Um, this man told me I was complaining. He says, all you're doing is complaining, but you're not bringing any solutions. And it was a white man who said that. And I was really, really pissed off. I was mad. I was, I had some words that I wanted to say, but I just had to, I had, to, I had to pause, you know, and I'm learning as a man, what strength looks like, you know, what it means to be strong, you know, and uh, true strength, true strength as a man is when you can internalize everything, your emotions, your, your anger, your fear, your everything, and you can quiet the storm, you know, and um that's what I feel like being a man means like you can take the wrath of God and quiet it like like Jesus did with the ocean and the storm you know so um so for me as a veteran you know seeing this I'm upset because there's rules of engagement overseas you know when you're at war um there's rules of engagement and I just so happened to be in a position in Afghanistan to where I was able to experience the rules of engagement firsthand um, I was in a, a, a gunfight with the Taliban. We were in a, a gunfight with the Taliban. It was a squad and myself. So it was about 10 of us together. And I ended up uncovering an IED, an improvised explosive device. So it's an explosive device, right? I found this. I ended up getting in an RPG explosion. So I get blasted away, you know, and I'm getting shot at, you know. So all of this, and I'm sitting there, Dr. Lou, I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I here? These people don't even hate me. They don't like, they don't hate me. Like they hate a white skinned American person. Like that's what they hate. That's what they hate because of what uh, America, like when they think of America, they don't think of black people. They think of Caucasian people. So I was sitting there in Afghanistan while being shot at, literally thinking, why am I here? <laughs> you know, like these people don't, I, they never did anything to me. Um, me you know, and I did not, not shoot back of course but um but you know when you're in that position and i'm 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 looking down my scope you know my rifle scope and i'm i'm looking at a taliban guy running and i have my my weapon drawn on him he's he's probably like maybe 50 yards away 50 to 100 yards away so you know i was scoped in on him and my my partner the guy that was with me he's he calls into our base and he says we have a Taliban uh, wearing a vest. Can we engage? And so we're calling back to the people that are in the, the safe haven, the green zone, while we're out here 
asking them what we should do in the midst of this battle you know mm. um they say this is so this is before the gun starts the fire starts the, um, people start shooting so before all of that happens this guy's running and we're asking can we engage and they say no don't engage if he doesn't have a weapon so oh wait, wait, wait 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 ah you gotta stop you gotta right. say that again for people at the back i was waiting for that because i was i was a commander in the u.s air force i was waiting i was just mm. like i'm gonna wait and see there are rules yeah. of freaking engagement. Do not engage if he is unarmed. Yeah. Are you freaking right. kidding? Let me tell you something. I want you to go there. Not me, not that Dr. Lulu said that. Because this gentleman yeah. called Rashan in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. I got in a, in a semi-heated in, in, uh, uh, conversation today with uh, another brother of mine who is, who is a former law enforcement officer who who mm -hmm. is black and i love him to pieces and he was like wait i gotta get more information i gotta get more and i said to him unless you can convince me that that policeman would have opened fire if that was a white male i don't want to mm -hmm. have this conversation right and i'm sorry right. but that's how i feel because that is my son every last mm -hmm. one of them is my child and mm -hmm. if you're gonna shoot a white man in the exact same scenario, then go ahead and do it. There's a reason mm -hmm. he got fired. Oh, brother, high mm -hmm. five. All right, I, I'm sorry, I have to mm -hmm. say that again for those at the back. Yeah, so so yeah, like those rules of engagement and it would, seeing all of the police brutality in America against unarmed people, um, and I just don't want to say black people either, just people, because people, when, when they hear black, they get offended because they think that we're, and I'm, no, I'm sorry, unarmed black people, it gets, it gets me mad. And then I get mad at myself one and I'll go back there, but I'll get mad at myself when I hear, we, so we say this a lot, like when we're angry, we're like, I don't want to be that angry black guy. Like a brother said that earlier, he's like, I'm sorry. No, we don't have to apologize for our anger. And we can, that stereotype, the angry black guy, was given because they don't want us to be that angry black person. And once you become the angry black person, you want to revolt. And this country was built on a revolution. So if black people begin to revolt and which we are afraid to do so, we're so afraid of the government and the police officers that there is, there's no true war uh, happening. There's just the protesting part, which things happen but you know, my question as a, as a black man has been, well, we've we've marched before, you know, we we've we, we've marched for a long time. What is the real answer? And I feel like we're afraid of finding out that real answer, uh, which is war. <laughs> and I'm not just because I'm in the military doesn't mean like I'm all like pro war. But I feel like black people are are in a system was that was never built for them. So if you're asking a country to accept you. In a system that was not built for you or meant for you, it is impossible to do so. So the only thing my one of my my, my aunt-in-law she said earlier is that we we aren't just we aren't free, we're just loose. Like we're loose. Like when you think about a dog on a chain, you know what I mean? That dog knows he's not free because he's on that chain. But the moment you let that dog out in the backyard with a fence, with parameters and guidelines you know, and laws to keep him in there, he feels free, but he's still enslaved and has a master. So as black people, we have to get uncomfortable with being enslaved as we are right now. And, and you know, it's a mental thing as well. So rules of engagement, they said, don't shoot this unarmed 
Taliban man because he was a civilian at that time. And, and we literally had men walking by us after we were getting shot at. These guys are walking by us after probably shooting at us, you know? So I get aggravated when there's a cop and, he, and let's say this, a man is running away because <laughs> he's afraid, obviously he knows that th this is a dangerous situation. And when you're in a uh, situation that for the people who are like, well, why are they running? Why, why do they run? And I've been the one that says like, why are they running? When you're in a fight or flight situation, mm -hmm. you don't think, oh, I should not run because I will get shot. You, you're going to think, well, should I run or should I not run? And that's the first thing you think. And I'll prove that by when I was in high, when I was in high school, before I got my driver's license, I had, you know, I wasn't supposed to be driving, driving a car and a cop stopped me. And this is before you hear all the news about black men dying from police officers. So I get pulled over in South Carolina and I immediately, my young self is thinking, should I run or should I sit in the car? And I did nothing wrong. I did, I, I was just driving without a license, but I, I was afraid, you know? So, um, uh, you know, as a veteran in this country, I'm very upset uh, with Americans who don't see the inequality that is right in front of their faces and are not sick. And there's a lot of black Americans in this country who are who have yet to to have experienced the fullness of the weight of black death. And it's because they've Her separated. Owen. I'm gonna just I would just help you out. Her name is yeah. Kendra Owen. She wanted them. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I'm ashamed to know this girl. Like I'm ashamed mm -hmm. to know I don't really know yeah. her. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. yeah, like the black deaths and and like I'm almost done because my computer about to die too. But I just I just want people to really think about um, war in other countries and how we while while we are overseas in Afghanistan and Iraq and whatever other countries people have fought in, Americans have been always always home having their regular life, eating cakes, eating ice cream, going to the movies, going on dates, hanging out with their families while the whole time you have people overseas fighting for our country, right? And, you know, when we come back, we get the, oh, hey, thanks for your service, thanks for your service. But when you're a Black African-American male, you, and you no longer have your uniform on, or a female as well, you don't, and you don't have your uniform on, and people don't see like, oh, that's a Marine, or that's an Airman, or that's a whatever, Coast Guard, Na Navy man, or a seaman. Um, People don't see that because they see your skin color. So they don't care if you served or not, you know? Um, so I just hope that people, when they hear a black man talk about his emotions and feelings, and if he sheds a tear because of the pain he feels on his heart, that y'all don't, or they don't see it as complaining, but it's us expressing ourselves versus us going out shooting a whole church or a whole building because we're upset and angry. We're trying to voice our anger and, and, and feelings and we don't have to apologize about our blackness and our anger. So that's my point. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Brother Allen. I'm going to hop on back to the Brother Will real quick because he, he didn't finish saying what he was going to say. And then we're going to just go around and everybody just do like a around. Because, you know, believe it or not, it's been over an hour. And I, I, I know that this kind of powerful talk takes days. And I, and I know I, I apologize to Brother Allen because he told me he's on the road. He's on a trip, road trip. And he said, I can, I can maybe do an hour. I was like, okay, brother, just give me what, he, what you got. So thank you so much for being so patient and being with us. And y'all follow him on social media. If you need to go, I completely understand. But I'm going to go back, let brother Will 
finish and then we'll just go around and everybody just, and you know, thank you all so much. There's lots of comments, Lord have mercy. Lots of comments and lots of questions and I'm gonna try to get to them if I can. But um, y'all, uh, somebody's asking us in the comments to post where you can be reached so that we can all kind of be connected with each other. But brother Will, you wanna go ahead and tell us, um, just finish up what you were saying and thank you so much for your patience, everybody. I feel like Oprah. <laughs> Doing a good job. Doing a good job. Thank you. All right. So, so hopefully this is uh, this take actually works and everybody can hear me pretty well. I've had to kind of move around uh, the building and everything that I was in. But um, so you know, as I as I listen to Brother Allen talk about um, what he learned about being a real man was to be able to like keep those emotions in and stuff like that. I want to offer you an alternative. Cause part of what I, cause, cause part of, no, and this is, cause part of what I do um, with my doula work and my birth work is get men involved in the birth process. And when we're getting men involved in the birth process, we're teaching them how to be supportive of their significant others, but also set, set, a, set up a healthy environment for co-parenting by also making it uh, a normal for their for their children to be able to show emotions because all of us know that as men we're often told that we can't show emotion we can't display emotion and to keep that in and typically when we just when we keep when we hold that in anybody who knows anything about human development will tell you that's going to come out one way or the other mm -hmm. and oftentimes if we don't let it out in a cathartic a cathartic or healthy way it comes out in a very negative fashion so I would offer the alternative is when that uninformed uh, uh, white man kind of told you that you're complaining and that you're offering, you know, you're complaining but not offering any uh, in, any solutions or whatnot. I would have clapped back in a professional way, but I would have clapped back on him. Ain't no holding back on that because a it's not his position or not his role as a white man living in a, a white male dominated society to tell a black male how to handle and to deal with his trauma. Two. One of the other things that I kind of heard you talk about too um, uh, was about rules of engagement and, and how you serve. And everything that you were saying was 100% correct. Like I'm the son of two military parents. Um, and then I, you know, I sat and I listened to you talk about how essentially you, how do I wanna, how do I wanna word this? How, you know, like, People don't want to talk about, you know, or, or, or how in Black America it's going to take war or violence or something like that to get stuff done. I'm here to tell you that, you know, as somebody who has a degree in history, that's, we may not want to hear it, but that's absolutely how it gets done. I can name you several, more than 10 different revolutions throughout the history of the world where people ask to be treated civilly, people ask for equal rights, people ask to be treated fairly, and they were either disappeared, jailed, or told to shut up. And it was only until they took up arms and defended themselves in an organized fashion that that freedom and that equality was given to them. That's how this very country was founded. Now, am I saying that everybody needs to go arm up and go march down the streets and this, that, and other? That's not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we can't be afraid to recognize that if something like that, for, for something like that that, that, that resembles that, to happen for us to be treated fairly. It took how many places burning down here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, Los Angeles, Atlanta, how many other cities before they actually paid attention to us? Yes. As I said before, it took 
one of the bloodiest wars in world history just to get freedom on paper, not practice. And so we have to also take into account that, you know what I mean, for us to get what we're looking for and to be treated fairly, that it can't, it's not gonna be at a level that's necessarily comfortable for us. Yes. We, we like to think that, you know, you know, for us to, 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 to get what we want from our oppressor, that it's gotta be comfortable. It's gotta be like nine to five when Real Housewives ain't on, when the <laughs> NBA game ain't on, when the NFL game on and stuff like that. And that we can do things within that manner for them to listen to us. That's not how it works. And it's not me speaking. I can, I can pick up any number of books political theory books, uh, you know, history books that, that, that prove that point. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to continue to have these type of conversations, but not be afraid to push the limit, not be afraid to, 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 to do what we have been doing, keeping the pressure on being loud, hearing our voices, because the thing is, we're black. They're gonna be afraid of us regardless. Yes. You, you, you know, you said you, the rules of engagement are different for us. We are the weapon. Our skin color is the weapon. So in their eyes, they are following the rules of engagement. And, 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 and they're not, they don't have to tell us that. They're showing us that over and over and over again. How many times do we need to look at more of these videos re-traumatizing ourselves before we, we let that sink in? We could even go about it the right way. We can legally arm ourselves like Philando Castile did. Calmly tell the officer that I have a, that I have a weapon in the car. I also have a permit to carry. Let me slowly go in and show in my pocket and pull that, pull that, pull that, uh, 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 that license out that shows you have a permit to carry, and we get shot. How many times do we have to be killed, murdered, brutalized, and slaughtered, only for the, the the person who brutalizes us and stuff like that, for them to put up a prom picture of them and talk about all the great things they have done and all the great things they may possibly do, which is why they should avoid punishment. But the moment we're made a victim. They will dig as far as the third grade to see that we skip class to try exactly. to villainize us, to demonize us, to yeah. prove that we were worthy of being beaten down, bludgeoned, and killed. Yes. And so I am not at all opposed at calm and civil ways of resolving these issues and getting what we need. But I am saying that we need to be more realistic about the, 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 the aspect of the fact that the behavior that a lot of us have displayed in our communities of violently protesting that that might not be out of the realm and do i know how frightening that might be for some some of white america to hear me say that yep do i know how um how that might sound or how that might make you know some some of my more passive brothers and sisters feel for them to hear me say that it's awful well i know i also know what i'm risking because i'm out there protesting stuff too i'm out there being attacked too I also have equity on the other side with one of my family members, like I said, being a police officer. So that I know that, you know, possibly this type of behavior could lead to somebody in my family going down. But as I always said before, and as I said before, before I had to get off and my signal wasn't working well, that everything that I do is for my people. And by doing this for my people, I am doing it for my family. And I'll never apologize for that. Ever apologize for that. Because my parents paid for it. They paid the price. Versus both, you know, both as citizens and serving in the in, in the military, are you brothers that serve the price? Are you all of our ancestors that serve the price? This country doesn't exist without us. This country does not exist without us at all. 
this country would still be a third world country if they're not for us, our ancestors. If all of us decided to just stop spending our dollars right now, just simply stop spending our dollars right now, what do you think happens to the economy of America? So, so like the brothers mentioning, um, I know we have to go. I know, girl, oh man, dude, I was listening. I think you, you do a part two, and we appreciate yes, you. Of course, of course, this is this is gonna be part three for wow. some of brothers. But, but, but what I want to say is that what I want to say is that um, back to my original statement, you have to know what space you occupy, um, and that's part that's part of the first the first law of of being a human being is self preservation. That's the first that's the first law. It's self-preservation. Um, and you have to decide what you want to do to preserve your life. What do you want to do? And what and, and what do you want to do to make it home? Hmm. Right? And how you want to build home. Because I think that the challenge, challenge here is that we've been so wedded to America that we're unwilling to, to look at the other options of what it means not divorce. to be in the same space. <laughs> a divorce. What, what, it, what, it mean, what it means to, to claim dual citizenship. Dual, dual citizenship dual citizenship someplace else, what it means to retract our spending. We have to be willing to take those conversations to be, and the challenge is that we are kind of like, it's like a bad relationship. You're like, uh, maybe she'll take us back, take me back. Or maybe he'll take me back. If I do just the right things, if, if you know, when, when he or she beats me, I might, I might, you know, I, you know, I might just say, you know, I won't, I won't yell as loud anymore. That's a Stockholm syndrome right there. I won't burn the toast. You know, maybe they'll change, right? And you have to have a serious conversation. I think our communities have to move from the protest is one, one state of mind, but it's also, you have to be in an organized state of mind where you start asking yourself the questions, what are your other, what are options you want to take? And what agenda are you willing to, to lay down in order for you to move yourself forward? And I think that from, from a community, a family that comes from protests, um, one of the challenges I saw in the past is that we were still hoping that things change. There were there were there were a lot of lot of brothers and sisters who sacrificed, and who are still political prisoners, who are still incarcerated. And they they lay down their full lives, 30, 40 plus years, taking a stand, and others weren't on the same page as them. That divide and conquer is a serious challenge that we have in our community. Yes. Some are willing to take a little step, but when it gets really really hot, some are willing to retreat. And we have to, and we're talking about percentages and numbers, we have to be on, a, on the same page in a certain kind of way to make a statement about what we're willing to accept, what we're not willing to accept. Mm. That, that, that concept of, 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 we talk about just the bus boycott. It, would, it, it wouldn't have worked if, if some said I'm down, some said I wasn't down. I had to take a mass number to say, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna buy the buses. But not only that, the next step after that was, we're gonna buy our own buses. That's not the conversation. We're not only going to boycott the bus company for 300 plus days, we're gonna then say, we're gonna buy a fleet of bus so we never go back to the bus company. That's the and, it took, and it took that perseverance as well, because just like you said, when they teach us about that bus boycott in schools, they make it seem like it was like two weeks and then stuff changed. Right. And, and, we, and we don't have that perseverance. Yeah. That's why we continue to do this tweeting and marching for two weeks and then we get off, get off of it. They don't teach you that that bus boycott lasted several years and also at reinvesting back in the, our own community before yes. the changes happen. Right. So, so, so on that, so, so just, uh, I'm just gonna complete in saying that 
that everything we do has to be an exercise in our endurance. Things don't happen right away, but everything we do is exercise in our endurance. You don't necessarily see the victory, but your muscle that you're, being, you're building right now is to get to the victory. And you have to be constantly building your muscle, your, your like I mentioned, your self-love muscle, because that's, that deals with the trauma. If you can't see past your trauma, if you can't work on your trauma every day, if you can't organize your days to, be, to target and focus on your trauma and seek assistance in your trauma, I'm not ashamed to say I've been going to counseling for five years. I'm not ashamed to say that. It's a staple in my life. Because I don't want to, I'm not going to just deal with what they call post-traumatic stress disorder, which really is persistently traumatic stress, stress disorder in stressful environments. You have to be willing to, to not just cope, but to break through. That's, that's, the, that's the first thing concept of self-love. Not just cope, but to break through. Then you have to be, be, be willing to organize and, and be actionary in people who are doing the work. A lot of us want to watch people do the work, but we don't want to be involved in the work. That's, that's, that's a major issue right now. They, they, we want to see the march happen. You want to benefit from mm-hmm. things shift, but you don't want to be frontline or be active. Whatever your skill set is, your skill set might not be marching. Your skill set might, you might be a brilliant writer. You might be a brilliant filmmaker. You might be a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant organizer from the back. But everybody has something they can contribute, but you have to, you have to make a statement saying, I can contribute. And I'm going to contribute. Not I'm going to say, I'm, going to, I'm going to contribute. And I'm going to find somebody where I am who is also looking at the long, long-term picture and we're going to contribute. And All if right. we- I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to have to, because I promised it wasn't going to go, go past two hours. And I'm telling you, <laughs> I love this. And I'm going to ask Man. you guys now because I've already had two people ask me if we can do part two. And it doesn't have to be next week, Sunday. I just want us to keep on talking. A lot of people are learning. I'm learning. I've got four pages of notes, okay? So I'm going to say something that I've just learned. Persistent traumatic stress disorder. I never thought about it that way. It's not post because it's not over yet. Right, Brother Boomi? It's not, it ain't over yet. So it's persistent. I love that. Thank you so much. So I'm going to go Dr. Sean Jimwright, who talks about, Dr. Sean Jimwright talks about going from trauma-informed to going to healing center. And he talks about that in terms of the environments we're in are not, it's not post, but it's also persistent traumatic stress environments. Mm. We occupy environments that continuously put us in positions where, where the, the preconditions the brother was talking about, um, brother Kingsley was talking about that precondition. That's, 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 that's the buildup of trauma over time that makes your immune system not function, that makes you not, not, not able to, your heart and your, your organs and your lungs aren't at the highest capacity. So yeah. it's not like happenstance. It's, it's the persistent effect of those things that put us in the place that we're talking about. I love it. I just, oh my God, mic drop. All right. Uh, Uche, so can I just say. Brother Kingsley. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to yeah, just go. Yeah, I just want to say, I mean, part of all this, I think. To, go ahead. Can you hear me? I'm not yes. using my, okay. So part of the, and that, that's why it's important for us, brothers, to keep up the pressure because we've, in spite of what's happened to us over the years, we're resilient. And, and I think that they are scared. They are threatened by our resilience. And we need to keep up the pressure. And that is why whatever you said, and you said the last speaker said this, whatever your craft is, hone your craft, whatever it might be, and excel at it. You know? And then you know, the, the only other thing I want to say is just take care of yourselves health-wise, take care of your family, look after yourselves, you know, and, and just keep up the pressure. We've got to keep up this fight. And definitely, if there's a part two, I, I won't be part of it. So I just wanted to say that in closing. We got two people sitting okay. in the part two. Thank so, you so much. So we're going to go so around. Personally, I, you know, personally honestly, professionally, and in terms of our community organizations, 
channeling resources, things like that. That's what we have to really focus on. And this is how we can keep up, you know, this kind of pressure. Hashtag so Black Wall Street coming back. We have to. We have to. Black Wall Street. So I'm going to start with Kevin Wilson. Yes. All of you have been so patient. And I never use the word last words. I never. Because it's not. But let's just say parting words for today's episode, part one. I predicted it was going to be part one. And look, it's part one. <laughs> but like Kevin Wilson Talk to us, brother. Take us home. Like, yeah. you got two minutes. You got two minutes. Okay, two minutes. Yeah, this this was, this was um, I really appreciate what the brothers brought. They stirred up so much in me um, just listening to the everyone talk. You know, you want to comment on everyone, but you mm -hmm. have to be patient and listen. Um, but there were some things that stood out um, that I, I, and I got so many notes too that I was uh, chatting down, but um, I think it was brother uh, Kimmy that talked about apply understanding. And I think one of the things that the world don't understand is the culture. We all have different cultures, but we all just try to find a commonality and just leave it right there. So if we can talk about sports, okay, that's good. Let's just talk about sports, but we never go into in depth to find out like our family systems because we all come from different family systems. Even every brother on this page right here, we all have a culture that's common, but then what's underneath that culture? We all come from different families and family systems that are brought up differently. But sometimes we're afraid to go beyond that because it deals with some pains and it deals with other things. And then the other thing, um, when they talked about the bus boycott, uh, Brother William, man, you, you said it so clear. What they teach us in school is the basics, but they didn't tell us how they shut down uh, the economical system. And then they said, okay, let's rethink this thing because we're losing money. And so, but you, they don't teach you that. And, and so that's the thing that we have to do as, 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 as a race, as black, you know, we have to come together and work together. There's so many times we come together when the pressure is applied, but then when the pressure is eased up some, then we go our separate ways. Well, let me do it this way and let me do it that way. And I think just so many times that if we can come together and, and, and work together and unify and have unity you know, we, we can accomplish a lot of things. And I, I'm, I'm just so excited to be on this panel with these brothers. Um, yeah, I have to be in contact with you guys. And um, I, I'm down for part two, because there's a lot more um, that I want to engage in, even with um, self-identity, you know, dealing within yourself, dealing, dealing how to process um, your emotions and, and, and talk about those things, because those are things that I had to deal with. Um, I also am, um, you know, in therapist too, talking to a therapist and, you know, in the beginning, you know, be prior to, you know, going to a therapist, that meant that you was crazy or something mm -hmm. was wrong with you. You know, black, black people, y'all don't, we don't go to therapists. We don't, we don't talk about emotions and feelings and all this stuff. So it wasn't until then that the ceiling was shattered that I realized that this is a good thing and not a bad thing. So sometimes we have to shatter that ceiling. It's one thing to be hard. You know, we got to be hard and we got to be hardcore and numb. But when we're numb, that's so that's why it's so easy when we see our best friend die and go to the funeral and then there's no emotionals in that in that feeling right there. So I just want to close out saying thank you so much for bringing these brothers together, bringing us together. Man, you guys are amazing. And as I stated in the comments, some powerful brothers. And I want to stay connected with you guys, man. Appreciate you and much love. Okay. I know. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be good. You know, it's like when you can anticipate that something's going to be good. And then it's good. And it's actually, then it's great. Brother Bumi was like, boom, I'm in. He didn't ask any questions. But Kemi was like, tell me about it. Oh, you know what? I'm in. And, and, and this is 
Brother Lawrence and Blake from last week, they're like, when is the next one? And they're doing the dance. Like, because it's amazing when you're with soul brothers, like soul family. And then, and then Kevin, I had to hunt down a bit, but then he was like, listen, I'm coming out of a conference for one week, but put me in in the meantime. He didn't have any questions either. And of course, Brother William, who is like, he's a sight and you have to, you have to find him and just kind of scope him and then poof. And then you got him with it. And then he was like, yeah, I'm in. So thank you all so much for coming. I'm going to let um, us go around one more time. So I'm going to do Kemi last because I love Kemi's energy. So we got Kevin already in. We've got Boomy Samuel. You want to say your, your, your parting words, Boomy Samuel? Yeah, I'll be quick. Uh, I just want to thank the brothers for being on the call. I think that we have to recognize our time for joy as well. I think as, as brothers, a lot of time we can, we can um, we're providers. We, we, we're, we, we're built to to um, respond and to take care and to be um, defenders. And sometimes we can be very, it can affect us in ways where we don't necessarily recognize the joy and, and this opportunities, the moments that we have with each other. So I think that I wanna, I wanna just salute the opportunity to be with you guys and to express that, you know, I learned, I was able to share and, I, and my, my heart was very, very heavy this morning when I woke up and I saw the video of the brother um, explaining himself and talking about, you know, him trying to make it home. That hit me hard. And I wasn't going to I wasn't going to do much today, but I'm glad I did. Uh, I want to say that you know um, we we all we all will, will no longer be one day, you know, and we have to decide what our legacy is going to be. We have to decide how we're going to contribute and what we're going to leave behind and what people will say about us. So um, you know, I just hope that we 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 can be diligent, we can be resilient, um, we can stay the course, we can do our own self study and not and not falter, not take our foot to break, not become lazy, but to really have the endurance and build our muscle for the moments that will call upon us. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate you guys and I wish you well, I wish you safety, I wish you power, I wish you strength and I wish you discernment. I wish you discernment, you know, out here in this world. Thank you so much, brother Lawrence or Blakey, whichever one of you is unmuted, you can go first and just give us your, huh, I don't know, take away moments, aha moments, see you later moments, you know, um wow there's a lot to process and unpack for myself here um i think something i definitely say is how grateful and thankful i am for this opportunity simply because we're all black men but also it's helping me to continue in discovering my purpose and figuring out how i can make a positive impact in the world i think one of the things that i really took away here is um some, somebody said something along the lines of if you're a, somebody who could be on the front lines versus somebody who can be an organizer, you know, me, I like to talk. I, I just this, I think it's part of my natural gift. So creating my podcast and eventually it led me to be here. And so it's helping me to further understand that what I am doing and who I am is helping somebody in some kind of way. Um, I'm a servant leader at heart and to be in a space like this and to engage with other people who look like me and kind of think like me, but also to share the experiences um, is, is very powerful for me. I, I think that I'm almost at a loss for words because I need to let everything kind of marinate and process. Um, but what I can say is that I'm gonna to continue to fight the good fight and do what it is that I have to do to keep myself safe, mentally stable, um, because I know that I'm an asset to this world. And like you said, I know that we're going to all leave at one point it brings me to, to think about, you know, you're working on your dash. When you, when you have a tombstone, you have the year you were born, 
in the year you left. But every day I try to get up and figure out how am I going to work on my dash? What am I going to do to make sure that the space in between the time I was came here and the time that I left, what kind of impact did I leave? And know that everything that I do is not for myself. I, I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave something here for somebody else to be able to pick up and make their life easier and better because that's ultimately the way I see that our ancestors have done for us. Um, and so I'm willing to continue that movement. I just really am so blessed and fortunate to have been here today amongst such bright and intelligent Black men. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. Fantastic. And Brother Will has kind of put a... Um, <clears throat> a sign up that his, his batteries is, might be running. So I'm gonna let Brother Will just kind of round it up for us. Aha moment, takeaway moments. And, um, and in that way, if, if your battery dies, if we'll, we'll, we'll see you in the next one. Brother Will, you got it? Yeah, just a few, just real quick, few words. Um, nothing long at all, but I, I guess my parting words are, or our part two words are, uh, educate yourself, protect yourself, but plan for your community and fight for your community. That's it. I mean, that's a, that's rounds rounds it up right there. Thank you so much, brother Kingsley. Um, have you given us your pre part two words yet? I, I, I don't I don't know who I've done and who I haven't done. You're you're muted, sir. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. But I was going to add something else. Just thanks to you, Doctor Lulu. You've got a knack for bringing people together, and um, you're also a great moderator. So thanks for that. And I I, I got a lot out of this. I mean. Uh, and, and I pledge to do more, um, just, you know, just do more, you know, to, to, to keep on uh, keeping on. So thanks. Thank you so much. And then, of course, Lawrence Washington, before we go to Kemi to bring us, bring us home. Lawrence, how are you doing, brother? How, how was the, the hour and some change? Was it good for you? I am uh, what you call, uh, I've eaten a really good meal. I'm full. I'm very full. I I am uh, grateful just just to be a part of this conversation, to actually have connected with some great brothers, great sister, doctor. Thank you so much. I'm uh, looking at your screen, so I'm looking this way. But thank you so much. I appreciate you just for allowing me to be a part. Uh, my last words that I would like to leave with everyone that's listening right now is actually words that I've learned from my own mother, Donna Washington, which is so ironic because I actually gave my mother a promise. I promised my mom one week before she passed away. And although I didn't know that she would pass away, um, um, but our last conversation, I told my mother that I was going to be in a position where, where the whole world is gonna know your name. They weren't, they're they gonna know who you are. And I said that without having any idea of what that really looked like. So I just, uh, I just would like to leave everybody with my mother's words, Donna Faye Washington. Mm. She will always say that love wasn't put in your heart to stay. Love is in love until you start to give it away. So. So I hope that that sits on the hearts of everyone that is listening and let us continue to, to uh, move and operate in love. And please understand love is not weak. Love conquers all, all right? Love is not passive. Love seeks justice. 
So I want every everyone to just continue to just operate and move forward with love. Thank you so much. So aptly said. So Brother Kemi, you are you bring the Zen. I don't know if you do guided meditation, if you want to just do it as well as your, you know, give your round up words and then if you want to do the meditation otherwise i can do it too we can do you can do it or i can do it that's fine but yeah. thank you so much my brother for coming i tell you i fell in love with your heart when i i just i watched you do something you know and you know people i'm gonna say this people get weirded when i say i love that brother because you have to get to a putting a particular part of your life when you can say easily as a woman you love a brother and it, it's it's that's what it is. That's it. That's it. I met Kevin Wilson. I fell in love with him. He was honest about being a black man that had been troubled. And then he said, I took therapy. I was like, what? What? And then I met Kinsley. Kinsley, we went to Washington, D.C. last year. And Kinsley took a picture of me on my bike, on a bike when we went on a trail. I don't even know if he remembers the, that picture. Every time I put it on, I get so many. Oh, my God. Because he, he took a picture of my soul. Like, he got me. And he's just a, he, he doesn't know that. And then I met Lawrence Washington. He's young, he's eloquent. He loves his mom. And his hashtag is my mama lives or something like that. And I was like, what a beautiful hashtag. And he mentors you. Are you kidding me? Of course I love him. Brother Blake, crazy. But I love this guy. He, he, I saw him. One time I was on Instagram. I don't know what I was doing. And he was like, and he joined me. I was like, oh, you could do that. And then we were like, oh. you know, and my kids are like, no, who's that? I said, don't worry about it. Like, I know these And then brother Bumi, and then I saw that you were in a wheelchair. And I saw some of your pictures. You were standing. I'm like, you were trying to walk. I'm like, like, this guy is dope. I love you, brother Bumi. Thank you so much. Wills is not, on, he's too cool to be on social media. Okay, he's just, look at that face. Look at that. Don't smile for nothing. Well, let it go, man. Let it go. But you know, I met him on a on a on a panel and he talked and he was so eloquent. And I was like, this is a guy that's got a heart that wants to do good. He's doing something very unusual. He's a freaking doula. He's a black male doula. Okay. If you're looking for a unicorn, there's your unicorns, unicorns, unicorn right there. And then he he works with breastfeeding a lot. I mean, this is I breastfed my boys, each one for 21 freaking months. Like I miss. Breastfeeding, they're five, ten, and I, I want to breast. I miss. So this is the kind of thing that he does. He helps women raise the future. Like this is so powerful. So when I picked y'all, and of course, brother um, Alan is not here, but he, I picked him because he's a poet. He's a wordsmith, you know. And, and I just, I want you guys to know that I love you and I thank you for being here because I don't want to come back after Kemi because Kemi's energy is so much that I don't want to come back after Kemi. So Kemi. Take it away, and I'll see you all on the internet. I know I will. Wow, that's a powerful way to close it out. And I will say thank you for everybody who spoke here today. I mean, it, it, I think we literally on this call represented several spectrums of the Black male experience and emotions that we're having right now. So I just appreciate the honesty and, and that we can actually agree and disagree on different points. and. You know, I, I, it's very similar to what Boomy said when some of y'all said, you know, Blake and Lawrence was like coming in with a lot of emotions and didn't, I was like, I was about to cancel this thing. I was like, hey, I don't want, I don't want to deal with this right now. But it, I, I'm so glad I that almost, I did. Just so you know, I almost canceled it. This yeah. morning, I almost canceled it. When I saw that little, that, I didn't see the video, but you know, like you said, you can run away, but you can't hide. The, the yeah. news comes to you. I almost canceled it. I, I, 
And I asked um, Reverend Kevin Wilson, I said, you posted, Kevin Wilson, did I tell you that? I said, you posted in the group. Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess with it. I just, I didn't want to do it. And then I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to do it because we all need this outlet. We are all, yeah. we're all getting re-traumatized. And so let's, let's, let's just do two hours and maybe just maybe we can. <sighs> well, it's been that, it's been that sense of healing. I mean, I came in here looking for, for some answers and I, I, I have my list of notes here too. Just all the powerful messages you all said and just, I love somebody said I have a heavy heart and then someone said a servant leader being a servant leader is at my heart. Right. And to me, it, it I think about the word loss L O S S and that loss is the hardest when we get locked in on our suffering and sadness, mm. but we can actually move it when we leverage our struggle to serve. And we've heard different versions of service come out of this group from, you know, stand up and, and, also sit back and listen we've seen that whole spectrum discussed right here and then also to speak what's on our hearts and we open with a prayer i'd love to close out with a visualization because you all have uh last night before like i said i haven't really been making any direct posts like calling some of this out but was just writing to my friends saying you know my goal is to create powerful content that saves lives right like that when i wrote that i like guys like all right that's that's what i want to do regardless if i get you know, we're talking about being entrepreneurs, how we started this conversation. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I mean, we just sat through this here and it just feels like it put me back on my path and just to be able to create more powerful conversations. And I know what, what is required for that is a sense of, of safety and belief that we can make it home. So I would love for y'all to close your eyes and anybody who's out there listening. And we'll just take a breath in together on the count of three. Take a breath in together on the count of three. One, two, three. Breath in. Hold it for a moment, enjoying that you can still breathe. And let it out in gratitude. Just take one more breath together. One two, three. I just want you to imagine that you are turning the knob to the door, your front door, as you're coming back from a long day you're seeing your living room again and you're just grateful that things are where you left it. The energy is welcoming you back. You put down your keys, you, some of you take off your shoes, you do whatever it is that you do to welcome yourself home. And you just take a moment to sit down. Sit down and be grateful that you're safe that you made it home one more night. That's the feeling that so many people are striving for, it's just that to make it home. I'm grateful that you've made it home today. I'd love for you to think of what can you do today to make sure that other people make it home as well. 
What can you do today to make sure that other people make it home safely today as well? Thank you. Love y'all. Peace and love. All right. All right. Thank you all so much. Facebook is on fire, but I'm going to leave all the questions. <laughs> do me a favor, please. A favor. Just go on my page and just answer the questions that you can and share the videos. I'm going to I'm going to turn off Facebook. Facebook, thank you so much for being with us, but I'm not going to turn off Zoom. Facebook, thank you so much for being with us. Stay tuned till next week. You, you guys are getting a lot of love. I'm going to say three, two, one, turn off Facebook. Boom. And then again, I don't know how to do it. So we're just going to say goodbye. Stay safe, be well. Thank you so much. God bless everyone. Please come home every night and um, check in with me from time to time. And I'll see you all next week, okay? Yes. Or I'll see you on the internet sometime. Peace and yes, love. God bless you all. Yes, God bless you too. Take it easy. Bye, Rev. Save the chat, y'all. Save the chat before I get out, okay? Because once I get out, you can't save it anymore. Like the, the Zoom chat? How do you save it? Yes, Zoom chat. Click the three dots right there. And then one, wait, uh, wait, not that. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. safe chat. Somewhere, yeah, we say safe chat somewhere. I saw that already. I already saved mine. Oh, okay, you know what? I'm, okay, stop live stream right here.